fritter. That was nice. Ooh, hell yeah. yeah. Mm, gas station apple fritter. Yeah. Hey, those gas station apple fritters are the shit, all right? They're extremely good. They're so good. They're like, um, yeah, just, you know, like speed. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm fucking ready. I'm pumped. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Stewart's Gas Stations and Convenience Stores. Yeah, whenever I'd have to, like, pull, like, a 14-hour, like, labor job around the house, like, I yeah. could put in shingles on the, the shed or something like that, I'd always start the day, like, really early, go get a hot coffee and an apple fritter and dunk that motherfucker in the hot coffee. Yeah, baby. And then it, like, basically, like turns into like a delicious slug like texture yeah and i slurp that yeah slurp it down yeah i wanted a breakfast sandwich but they didn't have any this mess which that, was which <laughs> this was episode no longer brought to outrageous. you by yeah. Stewart's dairy but Stewart's, fa- if you want to sponsor us hit us up at ironweedspot at gmail.com we, yeah. we will absolutely take your sponsorship money yeah. I, I, we will absolutely take the libertarian dairy farmer uh, <laughs> money yeah all right so you know it's been what, like a little over a year, year and a half? How long have we been doing this podcast? Like over two years. Oh, okay. All right. Like way over two. We yeah. started in the summer of 2019. All right. All right. Well, it's been a long run, but I'm going to get myself canceled right now. Oh, okay. Exciting. I've been, you know, slowly becoming Team Cumbies. On the hot food. Yeah, that's... Yeah. You better watch the fuck out, buddy, because... I mean, it's in your blood. You're from Western Massachusetts. <laughs> so, I'm mean, like, I don't think... Central really, Mass. Central, Central But yeah, no, they definitely had cumbies. Honey yeah. Farms was the yeah. uh, convenience store of choice um, in, in Worcester okay. uh, growing up. That's not, that's not Cumberland Farms territory? No. Well, there definitely are cumbies. But um, the thing that, that about cumbies that has gotten me, um, you know pretty deep i'm pretty deeply addicted is there a roll hot roller tray and there's like a whole surfeit of deliciousness they yeah. have like sausage egg and cheese rolls they have like Ooh, the, that sounds good the buffalo chicken rolls Ooh. i had a cold sandwich there a couple months ago that was quite good i was surprised at the quality of the cold turkey sandwich that i got there yeah I, i've had uh, a not good sandwich there too i had a uh, uh a, a, i think it was like a pepperoni sandwich and it was like just it was like a submarine uh bun with just like two layers of pepperoni Oof. and that's it. Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. <laughs> no, I, I I'm an internationalist, seven eleven. I the miss seven eleven so much. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming from to around here. Yeah. Really? There there's one there is a seven eleven across the street from U Albany. There's already a seven eleven. I did not know that. Yeah. When I was living in uh, and, and and they bought all uh um uh speed speed Speedway? racer, speedway. Speedway gas station. So eventually those will convert to 7 When I can get a Slurpee next door to a liquor store, yeah. so I can hop in there, <laughs> grab a over. little airline bottle of, yep. you know, like cherry vodka, go over to 7-Eleven, Coke, yeah. uh, Coke, Slurpee. Coke Slurpee, my God. Like so the real Coke Slurpee. I will be unstoppable. It's Coca-Cola. Yes, it's actual yeah. Coca-Cola, which yeah. is... Classic. So uh, when I was living in uh, <laughs> Shinfuji, uh, Japan, um, their 7-Elevens had alcohol. And they Chicago also, does too. Yeah, and they also had like every amazing Japanese like convenience store snack. Mm-hmm. And I like tried about a third of them. It took me like three weeks. <laughs> but, <laughs> I bought like a full liter bottle of Jack Daniels at a at a Seven uh, Eleven in Chicago. It was amazing. Hell yeah! Yeah, uh, I got beer in Shenzhen at Seven Eleven. Yeah, that's great. Seven <laughs> Eleven, great it. shit. 
There was one time though that I went to Cumbies to to you know indulge in my uh, addiction to the buffalo chicken sticks on my way home from from work, and I had a very odd experience with a motorist. This guy pulled up to like the entrance of Cumbies, and I'm like, you know, I've got my balaclava halfway off. It's like three degrees out. I'm eating my spicy chicken sticks. He rolls down his window and just makes eye contact with me, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Hey," I'm like. Hi. (laughs) I like how you'll eat that buffalo chicken stick. (laughs) Yeah. Is that a buffalo chicken stick in your mouth? I'm just happy to see you. Then he just turns on a song and and cranks the volume all the way up and like keeps staring at me. And he plays me Tom McDonald's Snowflakes. Are you guys familiar with Tom McDonald? Not at all. No. Okay, so I found out about Tom McDonald in this day. This guy made sure of it. I heard the most atrocious white rapper I've ever heard. <laughs> and this guy played that's, the that's entire song. Yeah, this guy played the entire song and then just peeled away without going into the right into the convenience <laughs> store. Why did, so, why did he do this to you? I don't know. Viral I marketing. I, it's viral marketing. I think he saw the well, fact that we are talking yeah, about yeah, it. I think that he 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 saw that I was like on a bicycle and was just like this snowflake needs to needs to hear this. I, he, I thought maybe like you look like him and he was like coming to fanboy over. I mean, you, he thinking... was he was a white guy. I was a white guy listening to another white guy. Maybe that was the bonding. He was yeah. like trying to be like, okay. hey, I see you, brother. You know, white, white guys unite. <laughs> Yeah, what, well, what could go wrong? That's well, that's never ba- gone wrong. <laughs> that's basically what Tom McDonald's hip hop's all about. It's really fucked up. So Tom McDonald is uh, one of many um, trash Canadians that has been, you know, sent over the border. They're not sending their best people. No, no they're not. Um, Build that know, wall. Make uh, Canada pay for it. It's like who? Who's the guy that started? Gavin McGuinness, mm-hmm. also Canadian, yeah. also a white nationalist chauvinist obsessed with america and american patriotism for some reason and so is tom mcdonald and so yeah just if you want to totally destroy your brain go uh look that up on youtube um, there's a famous canadian murderer who's also a white rapper oh yeah or no not a murderer a rapist yeah serial rapist uh i can't remember his name if you type in Canadian Trudeau. serial racist rapper, you'll find him. Justin Trudeau. I don't know if this was an intentional segue or not, Chris, but that does lead us nicely into the White Lives Matter rally that was in Woodstock recently. Woodstock, New York? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. So, did somebody so get stabbed? Did, did y'all go? I didn't see you there. <laughs> no? I told you you weren't allowed to go. Yeah. You said you were, you said you were going to Target. <laughs> Just took me three hours to get there. No, it's a um, it's it was it, it was held on like this little green that was owned by like a neighboring church, and uh, the church is like, "What the hell is going on?" And like later, uh, is gonna like do some programming around anti-racism to I guess clean cleanse the 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 space. Yeah, oh, so bad the, juju. They, so they didn't yeah. even have permission. They just no, like, rallied. No. And the on... church, the church was not happy. No, about not this. happy at all. <laughs> Uh, and they like show up so they 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 cover their face with uh, it's like the one time i'm sure this is the only time they've ever covered their face this entire pandemic yeah <laughs> with this. like kkk clothes no they were so. skull skull masks oh yeah. masks. okay yeah. yeah that's adam often yeah yeah uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah real are we the baddies 
yeah. hours right, <laughs> right. there. And then like sunglasses, um, it was uh, not reported whether or not they were Oakleys, but I'm assuming that they that they are <laughs> or some uh, approximate knockoff. Uh, and uh, and they all had like gloves with like brass knuckles in them or something like there's a, and it was led You're by in Woodstock, New York. Yeah, what fucking what are you expecting? I know. And and then they were led by, it, it seemed like the leader was this guy from, uh, Re, what was it, Rebel News, I think it's called? It was also Canadian, so it's like a Canadian guy. Once again, not yeah. sending Get you to your best. Canada, keep your people in check. What the fuck? Um, yeah, apparently something happened last month, something similar happened in Chatham last month. Yeah, they put like a White Lives Matter banner on a gazebo yeah. or something. It was like, wow, yeah, that's, you're really... The, the cho- uh, like you know the, the the not the chosen people that's Jews uh you know it's like, uh, you know the superior race there you go yeah you put it you put a put a poster on a gazebo you're really speaking truth to power there yeah <laughs> and so this is Take like that, George Soros is this like organized by Patriot Front or whatever like you know I know they've been doing a lot of stickering in the capital region at least for yeah, quite it, some time well I mean like you said Adam Waffen yeah. So, like, those are different. Yeah. But there's so much overlap. There's a lot of overlap. Especially up here. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, there's not a lot of game in town. So. I would like to hear, like, what their uh, weird disagreements are. Oh, God, yeah. Right. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of it is just, like, li- the, the classic, like, libertarian versus fascist yeah. branches of white supremacy, because they are quite different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure the, the libertarians are much more concerned about, the, like, the, the age of consent. Whereas the the out white supremacists also care about that, but maybe also care about I like think, you know. I think for the libertarian argument is much more about like the government oppressing white people and like giving people of color like unearned resources, um, versus like the fascist white supremacist right is much more about like literally creating an ethno state. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like for, like the architecture of an ethnocide. Yeah, like yeah, doing a genocide. Yes. And yes. they probably actually like a lot of like redistribution of, of wealth. Absolutely. But yeah. For white it's nat- it's, I mean, yeah. it's national yeah. socialism. National like, socialism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Nazis. Yeah, so, Nazis. Yeah. 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 Um the uh the pastor of the church described them as um extremely well trained. They had a specific rhetoric rhetoric and arguments and tactics and literature they were passing out and a website it's very clear to me this wasn't some kind of one-off shit they have a website they have a website oh Oh, my god um yeah and uh one resident said like um it wasn't like they were just saying white lives matter they were saying obviously racist things anti-semitic things someone heard homophobic things so they got all of them. This sounds to me something that's more on the fascisty side of white supremacy yeah. than the more libertarian wing. Um, so, so yeah. look out for that. No, thanks. Get out of here. Yeah, we don't, we don't want you. Was there any you. violence? Did like Antifa show up? No, it doesn't look like. No, it. but it does seem like the um, like the town is not happy with it. No, and, we're, and like and the cops did show up and like made them like walk on the sidewalk or something. Did they like? Uh, clear this with the city like no before? it doesn't no, sound like no it. they no, didn't get no. any permission for this no no they just showed up and did a white supremacy well fuck that yeah get out of here yeah no that's probably because like they're really chicken shit and didn't yep. want to uh telegraph their presence although like yeah i don't know like i mean I th- i'm sure that they see it as uh like a 
disobedience, you know, in the same way that like an Antifa rally is not going to bend over backwards to get permission from the city to do anything. Like, I'm sure it's very much the same logic. Yeah. Well, a lot of them have used like being above board in their eyes and like you know getting permission from the city and or getting yeah, the cops so there and stuff see, like get the aclu there if you like, listen to our if you're a patreon subscriber and you listen to our episode on um the oath keepers that is the the distinction between something like the oath keepers versus the proud boys the mm. oath keepers are very much trying to be above board and legitimate and whereas the proud boys are just like agents of chaos yeah so they're just looking to fight i would assume that anybody like rocking Adam Waffen gear is probably more agent of chaos than like rule obeyer, um, legitimate organization. Just at, a guess. At, at least until the institution that they want to Adam Waffen for. Is, yeah, I mean, uh, Woodstock's, Woodstock's a little hippie town. Like I'm yeah. sure if they were doing that shit, like in the North country, then it would be very different where yeah. they would have local governments that mm. are sympathetic to their you know, mm. political beliefs. But, they went to Woodstock, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sort of famous, yeah. iconic for it being uh, about, you know, free love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and peace. All right, well, uh, Nazis fuck off. Yeah. yeah, Nazis fuck off. So I think we have the first case of a dead person catching COVID. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what I understand is if the queen has been, like, in, like, out of the public for months now, what, since, like... October, November, something like that. It's been a long time. Right. Then how the fuck did she get COVID? I, her son get her son gave it to her. The Prince of Wales. Charles? He had it. Yeah, he had it. He had it. So Charles probably went and, he, and he, you know, it was one of those situations where like she's sleeping really soundly and he, he's like finally she's she's yeah. gone. And, and and then he starts like saying stuff like you never thought I could do it, mom, but I can, I can do it. And then she like, <laughs> and then she like wakes up and then gets scared and sneezes because that's the thing that probably inbred people do is when they get scared they sneeze uncontrollably <laughs> because none of their shit works. And they like, sneezed, like a little inbred dog. Yeah, and he just sneezed all over the queen and gave her COVID. Uh, well, and it probably you heard does, it here first. Yeah, that's yeah. how it happened. That's, I think what happened. I would just think, like, given how old and frail she is, that you know, this you has just to do it. Keep in. her far from anybody who's like out in public life. I don't know. This has got to be how they, uh, uh, how England like justifies some sort of military action against China. <laughs> like the fi- like the Five Eyes countries are going to like consider this uh, active aggression against China. I think we should at least consider the possibility that they are saying that she got COVID so that they can finally reveal to the public that she is in fact dead yeah. after all of these months of pretending that she's still alive. London bridges have fallen. Yeah. So the queen is dead. Long live the queen. <laughs> or the queen is sick. Long yeah. long health the queen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they have been like soft peddling like the like uh uh King Charles, right? He's like they they were like, oh, Camilla's gonna get a title and uh, Camilla gets to be called Queen, yeah. which is fucking bullshit. It is bullshit. Camilla. <laughs> yeah. Not that I care about any of these ghouls, but you know I feel like we're gonna see the fall of the British monarchy, like in the next decade. Like, ah, the Brits love their monarchy. I know they do. I know they do. I'm just saying like I, I mean just they're think they're it's... the ones who get to decide if they keep it or not. Yeah. Given that they love it. Yeah. I think what one way it could end um is like all of the 
um, what do you even call them? Not colonies, like protectorates or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, the Dominion. Yeah, the Dominion. The one, Dominion. One at a time, just like renounces. I mean, they've pretty much already lost all the ones that wanted to get away. What's left? Australia, they've, Canada? They've the- lost some that didn't want to get away. Like Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I, I mean, I do think that maybe the younger British generation is not as enamored with the Queen as perhaps their older counterparts. But I don't know. I'd be surprised if the monarchy falls in, in, in my lifetime. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like, I feel like it's the writings on the wall. Like Prince William... Being like, oh, I had to drop out of being in the royal family because they were too racist. <laughs> like, yeah. by the way, now I have like a $30 million like Spotify podcast, even though I've not released an episode for like two years. <laughs> like me, me and Me- Meghan Markle are just, you know, chilling in Canada. Look, they talked to Oprah, okay? Are they in Canada? I think so. I, I thought, thought they were in California. The, yeah, I thought yeah. they were in California, like uh, in California. You might be right. I, I, I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have today a, a pretty good Iron Reads, I think. I really enjoyed reading it. Of course. I think it's, it's quite lovely. And it's on the Washington Post, so the website is utterly unusable. Thanks, Jeff Bezos. Thank goodness for <laughs> reader, reader view. You did it. <laughs> so, Tom Sietzema... I don't, Tom Sietzema, I don't know who this is. I've never right. heard of him before. But he is, he's a food writer for the Washington Post. Love him. And Love he every food writer. And he has a bone to pick with the hospitality industry. And let's not forget that it's called the hospitality industry. <laughs> You're in the business of being hospitable. And he would like to see a little bit more of the hospit uh, in the hospitality all right okay and we're gonna send him to the hospital (laughs) we might with our roasting which is something you would get at a restaurant in the hospitality industry is some roasted vegetable which is what we're gonna make him He's also going to Very lose satire. consciousness. None of this is actionable. No, no, no. He'll Stop. Have brain, Stop he'll be, threatening he'll be violence brain against dead. a Washington Post writer. <laughs> Jesus. Fucking Bezos is going to show up and take us out. All right. Title of this article. Restaurant service has taken a hit in the pandemic. Here's how to turn it around. Before anyone flares nostrils and ignites the comment section... My, my nostrils which, which are already the <laughs> size of quarters. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, the comment section is really something to behold on this one. I, some, context, some context. I was on vacation, hopeful about my prospects in the restaurant of an established hotel and willing to pay for the privilege. $100 a head, before tax, tip, and drinks, for a three-course dinner. Almost from the start, the night went south. Could we please sit at the banquet rather than near a busy service station? Sorry, the host told us, the banquet was for three or more, and we were just two. Some diners got bread. We had none. What, uh, sorry, what the fuck is a banquet? It's like a, um... A ba- bank, bank, banquet? Uh, I know what a banquet the, is. What, what, I don't... What's a banquet? Well, you know, like is a, that like a big dinner? Yeah, yeah, you know, you go to a It's banquet. an upholstered okay. bench along the wall. You know ah, how when you oh, go to a yeah, restaurant? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just call it a bench. Yeah, yeah. or a booth. A booth, yeah. Booth. Yeah, he wants a booth. Yeah. Banquet. It's it's spelled similarly to banquet. Okay. okay. But he wants a booth. 
He wants to sit on the, uh, he, he wants a nicer table. He doesn't want to sit next to the service station. He wants the booth. It's not a booth. A banquet <laughs> is not a booth. I would call it a booth if I were Okay, there. well, you're wrong. It's not a booth. I can't believe you're siding with a <laughs> fucking spook uh, food writer. I can't believe you're mansplaining restaurant seating to me, a woman who has worked in a lot of restaurants. Utterly shocking. <laughs> All right. Some diners got bread. We had none. Some people got champagne. No flutes for us, even though bubbles, as we later learned, were supposed to be part of the fixed price menu. As we picked at a salad that tasted like something you'd get from an airport grab-and-go, we watched servers clean tables as if they were firefighters hosing down a four-alarm blaze and noted that the forbidden banquette went to a lucky duo. (gasps) Plates tried to land at random tables. Not yours? Not yours? Back to the kitchen with the cooling food. Time was an issue overall. It didn't help that our original reservation was delayed by the restaurant two hours. Never mind that our body clocks... What? Never mind that our body clocks were on East Coast time. Wow, that didn't even register with me the first time I read this. Is that, is that like like Flavor Flav? Like <laughs> I imagine them like in the restaurant, like with their hands waving. It's like, look at the clock. It's like it's running out of time. They they call over a, a waitress, be like, here, li- listen to my stomach rumble. This my, is my body clock. What is my body clock saying to you right now? You bet I left a note for the general manager of the hotel. I was civil cool, bro. and specific. <laughs> yeah. I was civil and specific, prefacing my list of what went wrong with acknowledgement that the pandemic has long been a challenge for the entire industry and holidays are never easy. Yeah, wait for this. And yes, I left a generous tip, as former waiters and current critics tend to do even if the service sputters. Then I tweeted what I had done and asked the hive mind whether I was a Grinch or, my intent, looking out for fellow diners. This all happened on Christmas. <laughs> this yeah. was all on Christmas. It, 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 that was like he a 500 words of context not mentioning. He doesn't say it until like two paragraphs from now, but I just felt like because he said holiday and Grinch, I needed to go ahead and like give you a preview of yep. the fact that this happened on Christmas. Okay. That explains like champagne for no fucking reason. <laughs> I mean, $100 a head, three yeah. course, like fixed yeah. menu. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, especially on a holiday like Christmas, in a lot of restaurants, they do have to be careful about where they're going to put bigger tables because right. they're going to have families coming in. Yeah. And a banquette is very um, flexible in terms of how many people can be seated at it because you can just squish tables together and now it's for eight. Mm. You can pull them apart mm. and now it's for four. Um, so like if you can see in your mind's eye what that looks like with that long bench along a wall and then chairs facing opposite with little tables in between, like all of this is just normal shit. We're, we're going to get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Predictably, I struck some as a shin kicker of the strained workers. Quote, the mentality that making frivolous complaints on Christmas is an act of solidarity with fellow diners is anti-vax level stupid. The restaurant manifesto shot back. Yet my tweet got yet my tweet also got liked almost 300 times even by some restaurateurs. Uh this man is bragging about getting 300 likes on a tweet in in the Washington Post. In the Washington Post. And I he's like it makes it sound like 
like going to a restaurant is like a class, uh, like a social class. Which I mean, like, I like there there is a class component to being able to afford to go out to eat, and especially to get like a hundred dollar a a plate, uh, Christmas dinner before any other before drinks or tax or tip. Yeah. yeah. But fancy diners of the world unite. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) What? We have nothing to lose but our mediocre service. Yeah, it was like, yeah, you know, you're right. Because, like, when I went to Chipotle, like, they ran out of napkins. And that's like when you didn't get champagne at your three course dinner. (laughs) It's the same thing. All right. So his tweet got liked 300 whole times. The sympathy shown by so many suggests that the frustration flares up far beyond this dining room. Yeah, well, you can also get like three hundred likes for like saying like you know I poo pooed. <laughs> like, I got know. I got like a thousand likes for posting a picture of the QAnon shaman, and I have like a thousand followers. Yeah. so I don't know. This is like a very this is not the flex that you think it is, right. my friend. Yeah. Um, if even one in one thousand guests did this, we'd all be better. Responded the Flying Saucer Draft Emporium in Houston. A pro doing it, we'd be upset if you didn't. All right, so, like, a couple of bosses, you know, yeah. of restaurants said, like, yeah, thank you for snitching. Yeah, a we bunch of platinum you. Yelp reviewers, uh, <laughs> you know, were like, hey, I see you. Game recognized game. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. you're valid. You, you've really elevated the form. <laughs> Granted, Christmas might not have been the wisest time to be an unmarried gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this guy is such a just nerd in the worst, like, the most annoying way. But also, like, <sighs> granted, you want to be jolly on Christmas, but also, like, I don't know, it's like the dialectic where it's like, when else are you calling yourself or other people jolly except on Christmas? <laughs> yeah. So, like, if you're going to be unjolly, no, unmarry, unmarry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. even better. Yeah, even better. We. Like, God we don't damn e- you, unmarried gentlemen. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So it's like, no, you have to be unmarry around Christmas. Otherwise, it has nothing to relate to. You could be unhappy the rest of the year, right? Is it like you say, uh, like, you happy. could be a buzzkill. Yeah, I don't think the unmarry is be is like being unhappy. Unmarry well, is being like Scrooge-ish. Well, you say like happy Halloween, but you say Merry Christmas. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. No, so you're you never married except for at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Unhappy. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Sure, I get you. I got gotcha. you. Merry, Merry Christmas. Right, unless you're right, right. Unless you're in England, in which case you say Happy you Christmas. You say Happy Christmas, yeah. But that's because... You cunt. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because they're in a fake country with a weird, like, I like culture. Happy Christmas. I like the way it sounds. I wish we said Happy Christmas. You can say it. Well, I know, but then people would think I was British, and I can't have that. <laughs> yeah, see, Yeah. <laughs> You, you can take a good British accent. Eh, it's all right, and I have to warm up for yeah. it, like, pretty substantially. I can do it on command at any time. You do? Well, it's awful, though. <laughs> it's yeah. awful. Yeah, you need to eat more beans, dude. <laughs> you need to stick to Elon and uh, Christopher Walken. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> right. Oh, the queen is COVID. Oh. I know as well as anyone how devastating the pandemic has been for the industry and how its workers have been quitting in droves. Since early in the pandemic, I've tried to cheer on the industry, suggesting it was not a time to complain about dining mishaps, explaining the many necessary pivots to readers, and foregoing star ratings in my reviews. But I also feel compelled to advocate for those I serve first and foremost, diners near and far. (laughs) 
They've been there for restaurants throughout the crisis, over-ordering takeout, over-tipping, in some cases snapping up gift certificates they had no intention of cashing in, sending crowdfunding dollars to the uniquely strapped and even mourning the loss of favorite establishments. I'm just imagining like a, like a, like a, a, a video in like slow-mo of like someone like like grabbing not like nachos, like fully loaded nachos with their bare hands and stuffing it into their face while saluting or yeah. something. And just like, this is for you, diner. And you're just like, like yeah. sitting Shiva outside a shuttered Applebee's. <laughs> <laughs> Putting a little, a little stone on top of it. It's like, I miss you. Two years into the pandemic, however. <laughs> okay, I'm fine. Are you, are you having a wake in front of the Bennigans? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> this Fuddruckers was, it was there when I needed it. And none of you were there when they needed you. When you, they, yeah, when they needed you, yeah. Two years into the pandemic, however, some diner's patience has grown thin as angel hair. The elephant in the room? Service, or the lack thereof. I base this on what diners from around the country share on my weekly online dining Q&A, as well as my own restaurant rounds. In the past few weeks alone, I've talked to hosts on the phone who don't know the address of their own restaurant, a server who failed to ask why heaping helpings of food remained on everyone's plates, maybe he knew how bad it was, and an attendant who never checked in after our appetizers arrived, but asked a few bites into our entrees, ready for your check? One restaurant let me book a table online, but when clo- but was closed when my trio showed up at the appointed hour. None of these incidents is life-threatening. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> what? No one was... <laughs> God... diners are lucky to still have places cooking for them at the same time menus are shorter prices are higher and a lot of restaurants are adding service fees of 20 percent or higher the pandemic era realities have some diners asking here's oh god here's the money so where's the love oh jeez Like the drip, drip, drip of water that eventually breaks a rock, the steady diet of inattention has diners asking what exactly they're getting these days. Food! (laughs) (laughs) You're getting food! (laughs) You're getting someone to cook and clean up after your lazy ass. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Most restaurants aren't in the position to spend money recruiting extra hands, if they can find any. But they do, but they can do plenty of other things to raise guest satisfaction by a mile. Okay, this part is incredible. I'm girded. From here on, it's just, it's beautiful. Hospitality is free, says Rose Vata, general manager of the Italian-inspired Fresco Food and Wine in Boulder, Colorado, the most recent recipient of the James Beard Award for the nation's outstanding service. But it's named after like a B-list soda. Oh, Fresca. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fresca's all right. It's got too much aspartame. Yeah, it's it's a little sickly, yeah. Yeah. Um, The restaurateur says little acts of kindness might include getting a chair out for someone, escorting them to the restroom, giving them a tour of the kitchen, although not everyone everyone wants to see the dish pit, she jokes. Uh A gesture as basic as asking diners if they'd like to be added to a mailing list signals accommodation, too. 
I want to bring you to the bathroom and then spam you. (laughs) This is hospitality. (laughs) What I don't understand is if you just acknowledge how short-staffed everyone is, Mm -hmm. how hard it is to find people to work in restaurants, and you're saying that the way that they can fix these problems is to have employees at restaurants do more work. Also work totally outside of the normal dining experience. Like if if a waiter or waitress asked if they could accompany me to the bathroom, (laughs) I... I'm automatic, bro. I automatically assumed that they were like looking to fuck. <laughs> I just be like, oh well, I I never. <laughs> just a fun story. Uh, never thought I'd find love in an outback steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, it comes. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I worked at a fine dining restaurant many many years ago. And um, it was enormous. It was the largest Spanish restaurant in the country. In the world, maybe. One of the top top largest restaurants in the, like, by, like, space. Oh, okay. All of which is to say, we had to show, walk people to the restrooms. If somebody asked where the restroom was, you would say, got you know, it, follow me. It. Yeah. And um, about one out of ten times, so I was a hostess there. And so, you know, I would take people to the table, put down the menus, you know, enjoy. And then I would walk away. And about one out of every 10 times that I would walk somebody to the bathroom, I would get there and I would gesture toward the bathroom and I would say, enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. And it was so, and I did it. I just kept doing it. But I couldn't, (laughs) I worked there for like over a year and I can't. I dozens of people I asked to please enjoy the bathroom. Well, you know. You're going to love the it. Po- yeah, what's the point if you're not going to enjoy it? Yeah. Yeah. You know? But that's, so like earlier he bitches about a hostess who doesn't know the address. Yeah. Or a server who doesn't ask anything about, you know, taking away these full plates. But like, it's not in, t- if it's, if she's new, if the hostess is new, then of course she doesn't know the address. And if the server is new, then like, it's not intuitive to look at a full plate of food and know that you're supposed to ask that person if it was okay. Yeah. So, like, all of these things, he he writes this article as if his suggestions are taking into account all of these, you know, pandemic-induced shortfallings for all these restaurants. But, like, but it's not. Like, it's, you don't, you just, and you're a food critic. You spend your life inside restaurants. Do you not realize the disconnect here? Clearly not. It drives me, it drives me absolutely insane. We think the food going down our throats is the product, says Ryan Giffen, assistant professor of hospitality management at California State University at Long Beach. <laughs> it's it defi- a- no, it's not. It definitely is. It's actually the whole experience, the memories that are created from eating away from home. It's the non-tangibles we remember, says Giffen, who is also an organizational development consultant. Oh, wow. So you know that what he's saying is important. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just imagine someone like just like just imagine just like the, the the most blank vacant happy stare ever just like walking around a restaurant and just be like i love eating away from home sitting down and like i would like m- food to go down my throat now it's like while they're looking ah. around <laughs> no one asked if i wanted a funnel <laughs> and they're just like looking around like i am creating so many wonderful memories right now <laughs> like, <looking around>. even <laughs> before the pandemic giffen noticed a decrease in managers touching tables checking in with guests after they're seated 
a practice he says restaurants, quote, whether Denny's or a Four Seasons Steakhouse can use as an opportunity to welcome diners and get feedback. What's really funny to me about this is that this is like a very antiquated, I don't know, if you're listening to this and you've worked in a restaurant in the last like 10 years, let us know if you actually, if your managers do table touching anymore. And most places do not do the table touch. Like, I think it's annoying. They do it very, very occasionally and to like one or two tables in the restaurant or one or two tables in a section. Even when I worked at Applebee's, like I would, my managers would, would table touch my section maybe once a night, which means that if I had, you know, 16 tables in an evening, four of them were visited by a manager at any point. All of which is just to say, like, this is such an antiquated notion of how restaurant management works. Um, You're living in the aughts if you think that this is still what people do. And this is also a thing that I feel like is interesting to a restaurant reviewer and not like a normal fucking person, because as me... As a normal fucking person, I see like All right, these... well, let's let's back to this. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, those like table touches were like a is is just like some stranger showing up saying like how's everything going and I'm like fine like who are you and then they're like okay great and then they leave and then what That's... am I gonna narc on my server yeah and I'm not <laughs> right like, yeah snitches get stitches even at fucking Red Lobster yeah but uh, but it's also just like I don't know I find it very like annoying to be honest you're <laughs> just like I don't like who are you I'm ta- like I'm having I'm forming memories while putting food down my throat I don't need <laughs> <laughs> you're intruding uh, on my yeah m- on my throat stuffing memories yeah. After asking a party if they're enjoying the meal, Giffen suggests managers inquire if there's anything we could do to make the occasion better, giving diners a chance to say something. The number one complaint I get from readers? Restaurant websites aren't even updated or offer too little basic information. Nobody wants to see New Year's Eve packages after the new year or log on to find missing hours of operation or menus without prices. But those quibbles seem quaint at a time when, thanks to the Omicron variant, the only way some diners want to experience a restaurant is through takeout or its outdoor seating. Smart restaurants proactively address customer concerns by announcing pandemic protocols and offering clear photos of their outdoor seating. Is the exterior covered and heated? The answer should be visible online. Delegate a restaurant employee to monitor all social media. Again, who? Who and with what money are all of these things going to be accomplished? If you acknowledge that these places don't have enough employees to, like, literally bring you fucking bread on Christmas, who's going to be updating this website? Well, apparently this Phantom Gourmet, you know, it's so easy. Like, why doesn't he just reach out to the restaurant and be like, hey... I'll I'll be your web webmaster. Yeah, I'll, like here's some pictures. Let, like, let me update. Hand, hand me the login codes. I just imagine like some like uh, uh, an overworked server like handing bread to a table while tweeting <laughs> <laughs> on square yeah. on square sit yeah. base, like adjusting you know the layout. Be like, oh, uh, propane heater went down <laughs> yeah. while, while in the urinal, like taking a piss, yeah. taking a deep breath before they go out to like twelve angry uh, tables that were just like, you didn't ask me how my day was. <laughs> I don't know where the bathroom is. Where did did you just come from the bathroom? Escort me to the bathroom. <laughs> Sometimes, though, we just need to talk to a real-life person. Already already taxed restaurant workers can't be expected to be glued to phones at all hours, which is why I propose office hours, time slots during which diners can call and ask questions that might not be addressed online. 
Even an hour or two, say one in the morning and one later in the day, would go a long way to winning hearts and minds, which can translate into traffic. That's absolutely psychotic. (laughs) So you want, like, okay, so the... Almost all of the front of house in every restaurant works primarily on tips. So you either need an hourly paid employee to agree to stay an extra hour to do nothing but answer phones like a host or a you know table busser or something, or you're going to be forcing a server who's making two sixteen an hour to stay an hour later and answer phones. And gee, I wonder who a restaurant manager is likely to ask to do that. The person that he's got to pay $13 an hour to or the person he's got to pay $2 an hour to? Well, you know, if adjunct professors have to have office hours and they get paid a non-livable wage. Why not? Yeah. Welcome to the party. And what a lot of people probably don't know about service is that you come in before your shift to get all your shit together, do your side work. After all your tables are gone, you stay to do all the other side work, closing down everything. So you're already spending a ton of time when you're working in a restaurant, not actually making money, not actively getting tipped by customers. So this idea that we'll just add two hours of office hours to every shift so that you can call and ask, like, exactly what temperature it is outside on the patio, because I want to sit on the patio, but not if it's below 68. <laughs> I get very cold. Um, do you have any booths? <laughs> I would like to sit at the banquet. Give, um, me, give me discreet, like, very specific directions on how to get to the bathroom from every table. <laughs> But a live voice is a great way to show diners you care and to distinguish a restaurant from the pack. To not even list a phone number, and here he links to some other bullshit article he's written about angry <laughs> that restaurants don't have their phone numbers listed. My God. Seems the opposite of hospitable. Count me a fan of the human touch. Why do you talk this way? <laughs> Body also- clock, human touch. Stop, dude. My man is too horny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Throats. All right. Oh, God. There's a lot left of this. Okay. (laughs) He's got a lot. (laughs) He's got a lot to say. Okay. Early in the pandemic, when all surfaces were suspect, QR codes made everyone feel safer. The system might work for restaurants, but diners, young and old, have let me know how they don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Frasca Food and Wine introduced QR codes at the start of the pandemic, but dropped them a year later, Vada says. Paper menus are part of the tangible experience. No one finds happy birthday or happy anniversary on a QR code, she says. What? So this <laughs> Do they is find like, it on the menu? In, in a, so in fine dining, um, yeah, you would often, if you have a, a, a reservation that says that it's somebody's birthday or a wedding anniversary or something, you would, you would print off special menus for them. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so that's the type of complaint that we're getting here. Okay. Is, but also you could do that. Yeah. You, can, you can change the site. That the QR code goes to, or have a different QR code. I mean, if that table had its and, own QR code, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, and it could say "Have." It could, it could be a GIF. That's that would a, be such a pain in the ass, though. Yeah, it could be like a like a dancing baby that says "Happy Birthday" or something. <laughs> I mean, you could have one specific "Happy Birthday" QR code that just is like a generic yeah. "Happy Birthday." And you just tape it over menu. the usual one. Yeah. Get on it, Applebee's. Um. 
thought you said fine. Well, yeah, fine dining, right? Applebee's, right? Okay, never mind. Yeah, no, I'm saying if you, if yeah. it's if this practice is going to leave the bounds of fine dining, then yeah. oh, I, I was thinking Applebee's is fine dining. Uh, well, actually, Ruby Tuesdays is the okay. fine dining okay. of fast casual restaurants, <laughs> right. uh, and it's embarrassing that you don't know that. <laughs> um. Further, restaurants should be an escape from the past two years. Phones take away from that. Should they be? Wait, should they be? I mean, we've always, we've been, we've done been on phones since like 2013. Yeah. Like, this is not a pandemic phenomenon to be glued to our phones. But I just, I'm so troubled by the idea that restaurants should be an escape from the past two years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So much of the, of these past two years are about whether, what you can and cannot do in restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or whether whether you can go to them at all. As well as like certifiably the greatest public health risk like that we have done (laughs) as a country is like hold on to and maintain at you know the all expenses sit down dining yeah admittedly ink and paper can be expensive Ashok Bajaj, whose ten, we- re- whose 10 Washington restaurants include the posh Annabelle and the popular Bindas, says he spends about $1,000 a month per establishment on his lists. Jesus fucking Christ. On menus? What? $1,000 on menus? Like... That must it's, be it's, very nice. He must have he must have the the printers where like it runs out of cyan and it doesn't let you print it all until you replace yeah. the cyan, even though you're not you're printing black and white. <laughs> so it's just like black like black and magenta filled yeah. cartridges. Yeah, and he's got like everywhere. piles of of yellow that he never has <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah, that he never needs. <sighs> Cost-conscious restaurateurs might look to Europe's bistros for an alternative. Tough times call for handwritten chalkboard menus, practical and personal. Again, who? Who is making these chalk menus? I used to do chalk menus. How long did it take you to make one? It would usually take me about, if I wanted it to look nice, mm-hmm. it would take me about 20 to 30 minutes. Damn. And like it, like we had one that was like a huge chalkboard, and that one I would only do like once every few weeks because I I could spend an hour on that thing. Mm. Um. So you know, obviously not like if you go into a diner and the specials are written down, like they didn't spend an hour on that, yeah. obviously. But this guy doesn't want it because he wants information. He wants it to be cutesy and homey and hospitable. Like he, if 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 he walked into a place with just a normal diner chalkboard with specials written on, you would be like, "Where's the human touch?" My body clock doesn't jive with this. <laughs> Edible tokens of appreciation, some costing little to make because they use food that would otherwise go to waste, go a long way toward generating goodwill among diners. Regulars at the neighborly Tail Up Goat in Washington what? look forward to whatever appetite-stimulating shrub they're greeted with once they're seated. What? <laughs> uh, also, are these edible tokens non-fungible? <laughs> are they on the blockchain? Um, the yeah. block of cheese chain. Now he's just talking about like fancy, like fancy places giving you special food. Um, all right, I I don't know how much more. This <laughs> yeah, right. we're 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 almost done. We're almost done. I don't even understand these problems. <laughs> like, I, I didn't even know these were options to have as like something to be unhappy with. <laughs> Giffen's advice to restaurants, slow down. Think about what the customer wants. Create a culture where criticism can be taken as constructively, not defensively. Um, ge- that general manager at the hotel in Santa Fe, 
He called me to apologize, told oh, me he went God. over the restaurant's issues with his team and extended an invitation to return for dinner, a suggestion I appreciated, but declined. Really, I just wanted to pass along feedback, help the establishment, and save future diners from mishaps. Wow. So this manager called him, groveled, oh, please, Mr. Food Writer for the Washington Post, I love you, please come back. And then he, like, yelled at all of his employees because they pissed off this fucking douchebag. Yeah. It takes a village to make a restaurant work. <laughs> oh, no. Giffen is a big believer in all hands on deck, whereby all team members are encouraged to help colleagues regardless of their position. Again, more phenomena of uh, just as you lose people to do jobs, you just give those jobs to the people who are already doing their jobs, and now they do lots more jobs. Yeah. Same amount of work, fewer people doing it. Smaller village. Yeah. yeah. Like, it. It takes a literal village to keep me, the writer, happy. <laughs> and that is justifiable. That is actually morally good. It, it should take a whole village to keep me happy. Yeah. I require a small army of worker drones to just satisfy my every need. To put food in my in my throat. <sighs> so, yeah, that's basically it. Oh, All right. We just wow. need to liquefy this occupation. Yeah. Entirely eliminate it. Like, the fact that... The world's richest person, or second richest, depending on the week, um, has taken over and owns a uh, you know publication of record, the you know uh, the Washington Post, and this person has deemed it appropriate to have millions of workers without the ability to take like bio breaks, so that they're pissing in bottles and trying to, you know, run around and dodge robots to like, you know, <laughs> package up the entirety of the entire retail market. Um, and that that's all appropriate, but this motherfucker gets a salary. This yeah, motherfucker right. is, is, you know, probably making six figures or more to eat to, fancy food, to eat fancy food and bitch about it. Yeah. And that is, uh, you know, a total appropriate use of, um, our collective resources. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Now I'm imagining like a Ben Garrison style cartoon of like, like yeah, like Amazon workers, uh, dodging bear mace that's being sprayed by a robotic arm while, and, and while like a vacuum sucks money out of their pockets into Jeff Bezos's pocket. And then it descends onto like this rotund man that like demands like bread and sparkling wine <laughs> and be and like be led by by his hand to the bathroom <laughs> it, it's, it's just it's so fucking bizarre like this entire thing it's like he's like yeah shit's real out there like millions of people are dying restaurants can't find work um but you know they should really be trying harder yeah, yeah. like that's the problem yeah it's just i cannot i cannot believe we live in the society it is like it's so fucking disgusting. The, and these comments are just disgust disgusting. They're like, oh the, yeah, yeah. Like this oh, one little is piggy comments, please. My humble opinion: we have coddled restaurants and their workers for too long. For there what we is. pay, we should be getting a perfect <laughs> meal every time. There it is. Otherwise, yes. we should not be patronizing that business. Oh. I am begging you to stop patronizing restaurants because I know yeah. exactly who this motherfucker is. Yeah, and I am begging you, Nick Pole. To please stop patronizing these businesses. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it. Jeff Bezos, hire me to be a food writer. 
I will do it for a quarter of what you are paying this guy, <laughs> and I will make people feel good. I will. I'm easily satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the problem with food writers. These are too tricky. I eat at Cumbies <laughs> five times a week. I will come in and I will just be like, "Yo, the 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 butter that they put on that popcorn, it fucking slaps. Shit's dope." You here's gotta a, go try this shit. Here's a guy complaining about a hostess at a at the Chart House. Perfect. I used to work at the Chart House. It's like this fine dining, um, you know, like beachside restaurant in Sarasota. There's a couple all over the country. I have a feeling that this guy's talking about the one in Sarasota. Those people are the biggest pieces of shit. This one time, sorry for like sharing my no, restaurant. Is, no, no, no. They're all perfect. But this one time when I was hostessing at the Chart House... This woman comes up. She was 40 minutes late for her reservation. We had a policy of at 20 minutes late, you would call them. And if they moved past 30 minutes late, then they got put at the bottom of the wait list. Very, very um, generous late policy for a restaurant. And we did it because these people are fucking piss babies that like will freak out. Well, this lady freaked out on me. She was very, very angry with me. She had her little girl with her. And I was like, I don't know what else to tell you. This is our policy. It's only going to be about 15 minutes. Wait. So if you would like to hang out at the bar and I'll come let you know when your table's ready. She starts to walk away and this and her little girl says, uh, what's happening, mommy? And she says to her daughter, that lady's a bitch and she's not letting us sit down. And she says this to like probably like a nine, ten year old girl. You should be legally allowed to assault her. (laughs) (laughs) In front of her daughter. There's this thing called fighting words. My, my My manager kicked her out. I, I will say, like, one good thing about that place was the management was very supportive. But no, I went to my manager and I said, this lady just called me a bitch in front of her kid. And yeah, my manager was like, you, you gotta go. You can't be, call- you can't be calling the hostess a bitch. <laughs> so that's who these people are. Like, wow. these people who make these kinds of complaints, I know exactly who they are. And they are the worst people to have. No one will be sad if you stop eating at restaurants. I promise you. Everyone who agrees with this article... I invite you to never go out to eat again. The world will be fine. And, and then you can learn to cook for yourself and realize that uh, this actually takes a bit of skill and time. And yeah. maybe you can't just like plug and play and workers th- and, in, into these. And think about it. You could lead yourself to the bathroom. Yeah. You, you know exactly where it is because you're in your own house, presumably. Yeah. You can give Serve that your little own champagne. Yeah. You make sure you get it. And do it with a smile. Yeah, because like if you're not gonna do it with a smile, then what the fuck's the point? Give yourself a tour of the kitchen. Right. <laughs> put a, put I... a mirror in front of you and smile at yourself while you pour the wine. <laughs> I've long said that uh, you you should have to work in a restaurant if you're going to be allowed to eat in them. Like at least for like a couple days, you should have to spend a week working in a restaurant to be allowed to be a diner. Um, I think I think people would be a lot more understanding if they did. M- mandatory mandatory service in, in the restaurant business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A draft for yeah, the, for the yeah. hospitality get, industry. Get, yeah, get drafted to Panera. <laughs> Hell yeah. Got a twofer. Yeah. A two, uh, two wildflowers. Aren't you, you lucky little bastards? Hell yeah. I really need at least two to get over that article. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ow, shh fucking democracy dies in darkness already a subscriber sign in fuck you david tell us about apple uh also from the washington post somehow the, these two 
stories exist together in, in, in under the same banner is is just funny like th- this guy like demanding that, <laughs> that people escort him to the bathroom after giving him food to put down his throat uh, is, I'm sorry i'm just kind of locked on to that part where he wants people to show him to the bathroom i don't it's just so it's like how is that an experience uh, fine yeah okay um <laughs> Uh, so, uh, inspired by uh, the many successes uh, a- 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 of the Starbucks unionizing effort, for, um, it sounds like Apple retail stores are also poised to um, uh, uh, unionize as well. There are um, 270 uh, United States Apple retail stores. And um, it uh, impl- those employ collectively about sixty five thousand retail workers. Uh, it is clear. It is probably the if you looked at a pie chart of like Apple employees, that's probably a solid chunk of it. Maybe yeah. a plurality. Okay. Um, because that's the thing about about tech companies in general is that they don't employ a ton of people. Uh, compared to their market cap, right, 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 and Apple is the most wealthy or like the most valuable company on the planet in history. Yeah, and all right. the hard work is typically put out through contractors like yes. Foxconn, like right. the, the manufacturing. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and um, and and according to Apple's own um filings, like their their uh, financial disclosures, um. Retail store um, sales through Apple retail stores and the Apple website made up 36% of the company's $366 billion in total revenue in 2021. Um, which, you know, basically means that, like, I, you know, it, it, you, you go to Crossgates, right? The Apple store in Crossgates. And you and you everything is dead except for the Apple store. Yeah. Which has got like a fucking security guard to make sure people don't like kill yeah, each can, other they, over AirPods. They check you in at the door. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, really? Oh uh-huh. yeah. Do they show you where the bathroom is? <laughs> <laughs> uh and, and, and so the, it's a really simple, straightforward argument is that like Apple is a cult. The <laughs> the retail workers are like the the people that like bring you in in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, they it it is really good customer. You know, want to talk about good you customer get service? Customer service, yeah. Under you know, like even in the midst of like apocalyptic scenarios, I, yeah. I hear they have a bar full of geniuses. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. ready Several to geniuses, wait on you. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean like. Like I, I, I've gone and be like, the phone is scratched. It's not pretty anymore. And they're and they're like, ah, oh, well, you know, you're out of this, and you got, well, you know, um, here's uh, a new I'm, phone. No, yeah, they, they, I had, I had an Apple employee say like, oh yeah, I can see that it's affecting your uh the uh, the touch screen. Like it does, the touch screen doesn't work as well anymore. And he's like look, making eye contact with me. I'm like. Yeah, the touch screen the touch doesn't screen work as doesn't well. Work it. And he's like, "I'm gonna get a replacement for you." They did the same with me. Yeah, because they had those phones with the defect, the slightly defective screens. Yeah, yeah. Well, Who was just telling us that they went to the Apple Store and they like got downsold on oh, an yeah. iPad? Yeah. Who the fuck was I think, that? Was that Sean? I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah, like they were, they, they were like, yeah, I went and they talked me down from buying a more expensive iPad. So they were like, you don't need all that. Because they don't make commission or they anything. They don't make any commission. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, but they also don't make any fucking money. <laughs> they're, really? I thought, I thought they got paid pretty well. Uh, uh, not well enough. Okay. Um, 
uh, Apple retail employees can earn anywhere from 17 to more than $30 per hour, depending on their market and position, and receive between $1,000 and around $2,000 in stock. Uh, but that is like a that's like a wide range. Yeah. So basically, you know, that se- sounds. Re- I'm sorry, that sounds really good. Yeah, well, I mean, but like seventeen dollars an hour at Crossgates is you could get that working at uh, an Amazon fulfillment center. I mean, it's like 15. it's not. Yeah, they start at fifteen. They start at fifteen, but yeah, I don't. I don't and know. They it's don't get like, any fucking stock. Yeah, and they well, don't, I don't get to work in a comfortable. I, do, I doubt you get stock like the, your first day. This is probably years. Well, yeah, and years, I know, but. Um, Look, it should. I'm not saying that it shouldn't be better. Yeah, I'm just saying that's pretty fucking good in the retail market. Yeah, uh, it, and apparently it's been that it, they did have a good reputation for really excellent pay for retail, but it I has not. Some, we knew somebody who worked yeah, there, and they yeah, loved they did, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, the, those wages they say haven't cu- kept up with inflation over the years. Um, and uh, retail, in which se- retail employees say they're making less as they sell more Apple products. And I, I, I mean, and it really is honestly just, you know, it, it's it, like I said, it's a simple sell. This is the most valuable uh, company on the planet in history. Uh, why are you making $17 an hour? <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. It, especially if like, I don't know, if I were like looking around like the Lego store is empty, uh, you know, fucking PacSun isn't empty. Though, this, this wildflower brought to you by PacSun they now have uh, uh, um, PacSun is a doing lot of weird sponsors is, do, is doing a cross across a, a with uh, um, the United States Postal Service. Do you can buy these really cool vans that have like the old Postal Service logo on them? Oh, they're, that's cool. They're very cool. Um, I wore almost exclusively PacSun in high school. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my re- return spelled with a V. You know, like yeah, <laughs> to tradition. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's. Um, uh, it, it, nothing has been filed with the uh, NLRB yet, but it seems like it might be coming. That's awesome. That would yeah. be very cool. Yeah. Big get. Hell yeah. Oh, and, and I, I also read that they were uh, organizing with Android phones. Oh, that, that, that's, that's a funny. way of sticking it to yeah. their bosses. That's funny. Which I'm also, also evading their, like, panopticon. Yeah, which also <laughs> like, makes me like, whoa, wait, like, they have to buy a whole new fucking phone? <laughs> <laughs> like, you and I is like holy shit! Like, you can you can get signal on on yeah oh yeah yeah well I, Chris we 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 talk we, signals a honeypot we talk we talk oh uh, and Apple isn't yeah. that's why their employees feel very comfortable organizing on their <laughs> devices right. I didn't say yeah. Apple's not a honeypot <laughs> yeah. I just said signal also is yeah, yeah we I had Yash Levine on he yeah, yeah. Us. no no we, we, we we've talked about this there's no uh, opsec to no. be had no um, you know it's all if you want to all... have a private conversation with somebody. Meet them in person and turn off your fucking phone. Yeah, is- out out in like a the forest or something. Yeah, yeah, deep in the woods. So just deep don't. In the woods. Just no privacy. Yeah. yeah, just dicks out all the time. Yep. <laughs> all right, <laughs> wildflower number two. All right, this one is uh, a little close uh, to home, um, and I don't know if you guys remember, but I think it was I want to say like six years ago, um, New York finally allowed for, uh, industrial hemp growth. Yeah. Uh, this is pre legalization of, uh, cannabis, uh, for recreational use or even medical use. Um, and there were a whole bunch of, uh, farmers that decided to grow hemp for all of the industrial hemp qualities that can exist, including, I think CBD as like part of the extraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the New York Senate, uh, this past week actually passed a bill 
to allow for these industrial hemp farmers to grow uh, dank bud. Um, you know, bud, bud that has THC and CBDs and all this. And, um, you know, to add into their portfolio of, uh, you know, cultivated hemp um, products for psychological and medicinal, you know, value. So I have a question. There are no authorized like cannabis retailers in the state. So who are they going to sell this bud to? So there are authorized cannabis processing uh, plants. Like I think, so Curaleaf, for example, operates out of New York and they grow medical marijuana. And they also do uh, laboratory testing, and they also do extractions to make concentrates and things like that. And so, well, but they're growing it, right? Yeah. So, who are the growers going to sell to? Well, th- that's the thing is, I think it, it's all going to be um, a part of this like rapidly broadening and deepening like pantheon of uh, co- co- companies. So, you're going to have places like Cureleaf that'll probably be able to expand their processing. Uh, to include, you know, direct from like outdoor farms stuff. Yeah. And then there's already the uh, medical market, which you can get. Um, and then there's going to be a retail, um, you know, like recreational market that's going to open. Who knows? Like eventually, and, eventually, <laughs> like, you know, they're looking to, I think, get it going in this calendar year. Yeah, um, it was at the very early next year, possibly, or the end yeah. of this one. Yeah, like, I, I was on a webinar, um, uh, uh, like, last week with the de- the New York Department of Labor, where they were going over how they were going to, like, roll out the legal market. And uh, they said that it is, it is, you know, yeah, really difficult to get, like, those growers to grow at the right time that they would then have a market to sell it in, like getting it all to happen at the same time at like at the correct time is is like their biggest challenge right now. I mean, it does make sense to allow them to do it before retail is allowed, you know, give them a little lead time. Right. It is remarkable to me that New York is just allowing these tax dollars to continue pouring over the border. Oh yeah. For so it's been what, like almost how long has it been like over a year since legalization? Yeah. Yeah. Just about. Yeah. Wild, yeah. Uh, we, uh, Brittany and I were watching uh, Murder Mountain. It's, oh, uh, it's very good. It's like an eight-part series on Netflix about uh, like uh, weed growers on this in northern in Humboldt County, California, and uh, uh, the way that I, I, guys, I think the drug war was kind of fucked up. <laughs> no, yeah, no, but, <laughs> I before watching yeah. that, I wasn't, but I have to say, after watching it, yeah, I do think the drug war was maybe. <laughs> Maybe, maybe it might have been a mistake, but but the, the 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 part that is really interesting though is to watch um how legal weed um uh, fucked everything up. Fu- yeah, well, well, it, the way, it's it's a situation where they're like, okay, now it's a legal market, which means uh, corporations are going to take this over now, and we're going to grow at scale, which means all of these small farms like definitionally cannot exist the licensures are so prohibitively expensive that unless mm-hmm. you're growing massive amounts of cannabis it's mm-hmm. not it's not financially viable and these were people who had who were like generations of weed growers like they'd been growing weed since yeah. the 70s yeah. um so. these are veterans of the drug war right? yeah exactly yeah, the, the, the real survivors yeah. to which we owe all of our dank buds today yep. indeed you know the torchbearers carrying no some of them literally the like smuggled it in from you know like the yeah. middle east yeah. and shit yeah. yeah yeah uh the um uh the new york state 
uh, prefers to refer to it as the legacy market. Long live the legacy market. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ironweeds. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you haven't already, you should go over to our Patreon and check out. Um, we're going to be recording an episode right now. Um, this is probably the f- first or second um, episode that I've done a bunch of research on. And yeah. it's going to be inspired by an email that we got from a uh, listener uh, who said, you know, hey, I don't know if you've heard of this, but this is up your alley. And it's about... Uh, nuclear weapons testing in the United States and the fact that, did you know this? Troy had the worst nuclear fallout ever measured. We're number one, baby. Yeah. In American history. And um, it was from a program called Operation Upshot Not Hole. And uh, it was part of, I think, like 14 nuclear tests. It was test uh, number, I think, seven. And um, Lucky number seven. Yeah, and a very bizarre story and very interesting legacy. And, uh, you know, now that the um, war with Russia is looming (laughs) on the horizon, uh, because Brandon needs, I don't know, something to distract from his unpopularity, um, we should be thinking about nukes because we have a literal um, or a metaphorical uh, sort of Damocles hanging over us. And we're going to talk about that. And so... uh, for as little as a dollar, you can get our entire backlog of how many episodes? Like, good lord, at least a hundred, right? No, it's probably more like in the fifties or sixties. All right, that's a, a lot. A, a lot, a lot, and it's quality shit. Yeah, a lot of episodes for we really a dollar. Do. We do put some of our best, uh, best content behind our our Patreon, so because we love you and we appreciate you, and we want you to have the very best. And in the meantime. You can find us on Twitter. Iron Weeds Pod. You can find us on Instagram. Iron Weeds Pod. And you can send us an email and suggest a bonus episode topic. Why don't you? At Iron Weeds Pod. At gmail.com. Thank you so much. We love you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Peace. Okay, yeah. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you don't know i'm leaving this in i'm telling you no, no, don't don't my, my, mo- my mom listens to this show <laughs> just put it just put a link get in help, the show get notes. help david get help <laughs> okay